I like that to encourage all the dads out there here in this room and also uh, online. And I'm going to warn you because you've gotten some encouragement now, but this passage and what we're about to talk about this morning is going to challenge us, especially as fathers and head of the house. Our text this morning is Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I'll start this morning by reading that passage. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day or his appointed time. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Father, come before you again this morning and I pray, dear God, that we would listen with an open heart and with an open mind to hear you this morning. Knock down the walls, break the chains. May we hear your voice this morning, the voice of truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's one thing that I'd like us to do this morning as we take time to honor and celebrate fathers, we must realize what the world is telling us about the judicial family, a father and a mother. A father and a mother is no longer considered the norm. Two moms, two dads is now just as much valued in the world as a traditional home. However, when you go and look at studies about this issue, they will tell you otherwise. Some say that only thing that men are needed for is for procreation. And I'm just going to take a sidestep here. Gentlemen, I don't know how you feel, my brothers, but I'm so tired of seeing men portrayed in sitcoms as lazy, dumb, idiotic people. The presence of a father in the home makes a tremendous difference. And I would say to you that what we see happening, all these things happening, one thing is so many kids are living in a fatherless home. Did you know that children from a fatherless home are five times more likely to commit suicide? 32 times more likely to run away. 22 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. 14 times more likely to commit rape. Nine times likely to drop out of high school. And likely to abuse chemical substances. 
and are more likely to end up in state-operated institutions. Fathers, we have a great responsibility. We are given a position of great influence, and yet with that comes great responsibility. Fathers are to be the point man, if you will, for their families. Now, being a point man in the military simply meant that you would lead the squadron or the platoon in the most exposed area. You would be leading those men through uh, unsecured, dangerous territory. And it was your job to look and to see for every danger from every place. And if you spotted something, you'd hold them up. Gentlemen, that's what we're supposed to be for our families. We're supposed to be on point. Let's be looking out for our families, protecting them, protecting our home. And sadly to say that here in America, we have fallen short in so many areas. We looking at a father this morning who was on that point. Even a guy that God bragged about. And you know the man's name was Job. We just read the text. And you probably know the story about how Job had all these things. But God allowed Satan to take everything away except for his life. And through it all, although Job does have some uh, some audience with God and kind of remembers his place, but through it all, he maintained his integrity. And even if you read the book of Job, he has three friends that show up. Man, if you have friends like that, you don't need any enemies. I mean, they really encouraged him. He said, you must have sinned or done something wrong for all this to happen. It's a very interesting book to read. And if you've never read it, I would encourage you to do that. A guy loses everything. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. At the end of the book... He realizes how far he is away from God. He does repent. God restores everything, but no mention of his wife in the book. I'm just assuming she's there, too. Because she tells him one time, won't you just curse God and die? But he doesn't do that. What does Job do? Well, Job sets a good example before his children. It tells us in verse 1 that he was what? Blameless and upright. One who feared God, one who turned away or shunned evil. Even God himself points this out in verse 8. Look what it says in verse 8 of chapter 1. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This the fact that God would even say that? Could you imagine God telling Satan, have you considered my servant Corey? Or Rick? Or Larry? Or Dial? And just because I don't call your name out, don't take offense. I'm trying to make this personal. I mean, the very fact that he would even mention that. Look what he says. For there is no one like him on earth. This is God speaking. A blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. That's how God describes Job. That's how he characterizes who Job is. Which begs the question this morning. That has been in my mind and in my heart all week long. How would God describe my character? How would he describe me? And that's not just for the men in the room. 
That's for all of us. How would God describe you? He sets the example for his children. How could he expect his children to be godly unless himself he was godly and living a life of godliness to show them by example? I mean, what example this guy has set for his children? We'll get into it in a minute, but he also prays for them on a continuous basis. It reminds me of a story of a little boy was praying in his room. And the door wasn't shut all the way. It's just a little crack, you know, like the parents could come in and check on him. And so his father kind of pokes his head in the room. There's his little boy on his knees praying. You know what that little boy prayed? God, make me a good man like my daddy. Well, later that night, the father praying himself said, God, make me the man my son thinks I am. (laughs) Job was that man. He was blameless and upright. The Holman Christian Standard Translation puts it a man of perfect integrity. And in the King James Translation, the word used for blameless is perfect. And by the way, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus speaking, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you go back to verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5. In context, he's telling us to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. You are to be perfect. Blameless. It's easy to love somebody who loves you back, isn't it? And sometimes even that can be difficult at times. Because no matter how hard we try, everything in this life, in this world, is tainted by Sin. It just, there's no way around it. But in relationships that we have with other people who hate us or talk bad about us, that's difficult. Especially, I'll, I'll confess this to you. When I watch the news sometimes, I'm screaming at the TV like they can hear me. But you know those people that are screaming for things I don't believe to be morally right. I need to pray for those individuals. I don't need to back down my stance on biblical convictions, but I need to love them as Christ loves them, pray for them, hoping that they'll receive the truth of the gospel and their hearts will be changed. All the all stuff we're seeing, I mean, taking down statues and stuff, I don't agree with it. But if we think changing names and taking down statues is going to make anything different, we are fooling ourselves because only God can change the human heart. There wasn't a dishonest bone within Job's body. It doesn't mean he was sinless, but he strived to live for the Lord every single day. And in Job chapter 42, verse 6, we see Job repenting before God when he realized how far he had fallen from God. In fact, God, he comes in to question God. And God says, and this is my paraphrase, who comes into my courtroom judging me? What was you when I set the borders of the waters and created the world? And Job realizes one thing. Well, my other things, but this one thing that there is a God, and guess what? Job's not God. And perhaps for all the stuff we're going through, brothers and sisters, God is reminding each and every one of us that we need to be still. And know that he is God. 
Not you, not me. Not only is Job involved in doing the right things, but he also feared God. That means to respect who God is, what God says, and what he does. Not the cringing fear of a servant before a for a master, but rather a loving reverence a child has before his or her father. A respect that leads to obedience. Oswald Chambers, theologian, put it this way, quote, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Job turned away from evil in both its forms. The evil that comes from out, you know, confronts us, but also that evil that confronts us within. He worked at being morally upright. You know where the battle begins for all of us? Right here. Now, it's not a sin to have bad thoughts. But what you do with that thought and how you entertain that thought and chase it and then put it in action, that's where it becomes sin. But it begins in the mind. That's the reason why you read in Scripture so many times Be in the word, read scripture, think of things above, not on this earth. Continually feed yourself things of God. And this is really, I've knew this ever since I've become a Christian, but it's really making practical application now. Because as I mentioned, when I turn on the news, there's so much fear and hate and chaos. What did Jesus tell us? You're going to have tribulations and trouble in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Not anything this world has to offer, the tribulations or even the good things that the world has can even come close to comparison for awaits you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that. As it was said in Sunday school this morning, we need to remember who we are. Remember who we are. Job was a good provider, and he was also a good steward of all that he had in verses 2 through 3. He was greatly blessed by God. He had a very large household, it says in New King James. He had a great number of people in his house, and he contributed all that he had to God. He used his wealth for the benefit of others. You can read about that in Job chapter 29, verses 11 through 17. He had all these things, but he used them for the benefit of other people. He gave credit what credit to do to God. Now, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with being rich. The problem is a few of us really know how to handle great wealth. For example, here in the state of Texas, when people win the lottery, over 70% of those people end up bankrupt within seven years. They don't know how to handle money. And we need to be faithful in the little things first, right? That's what Jesus tells us. Be faithful in the little, and as you are faithful in the little, I'll give you more. Because his, his logic is this, and if I give you a lot, but you can't be faithful a little, why would I bless you with more? We need to be faithful where God's called us, what he's given us. And everything that he gives us is to be used for his glory. He used his wealth, his resources, and God blessed him. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. 
Paul writing, young Timothy, instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is in life indeed. And we've seen this played out in the last few months. We have seen firsthand how things can change in a blink of an eye. How quickly things can go. Job gone. Health gone. It's just happening that quick. We need to fix our hope where it needs to be. Not anything this world has to offer, but squarely on Jesus Christ himself. And build up the foundation for the future. Invest in things that last. For example, when I depart from this life, when I, my body physically dies, do you think my, my daughters are going to think about what I bought them when they were kids? If I got them a new car, or the, the best dress, or the newest this or newest that? No, they're going to remember that daddy loved me. That daddy spent time with me. And more importantly, that daddy loved the Lord as he proclaimed every Sunday because I saw it every day of his life. Relationships are what matters. All this other stuff is just dressing. Relationships what matters. And speaking of relationships, he had a, a big family. And look, his children obviously enjoyed one of those companies. See that in verse 4. They would have this feast on their appointed day. So it looks like on their appointed time, that could have been a birthday, could be a special event. But more likely, it was more than just a, a birthday. These feasts could go on for a week. But apparently they had different times they would do that, and everybody would come over, and they'd have a good time. Let me ask you this. You like Thanksgiving? When all your family gets together, is it always a good time? <laughs> Don't have to. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I look at this passage now. I'm arguing for science because it doesn't really give us more than that, but I'm thinking... His kids really like being together. And sadly, here in America, the family has been to destroy, not being destroyed, has been destroyed of the fact that we have a bunch of people who don't like being around each other. In fact, think about this. That same mindset has infiltrated the church. Well, I don't like that person. I'm not going to go there. Well, what are we going to do to get to heaven? That same person in heaven will get mad and say, I don't want to be here. I'm just saying. They celebrated with a feast. Probably lasted a long time. But I also believe that goes back to Job's example. The kids saw that in their dad. How he loved them and how he set the example. Look what he did now in verse 5. He earnestly prayed for his family, interceding for them. He would sin for them regularly and he would intercede for them because he did not know whether or not they have sinned. He didn't know what was in their hearts. Look what it says in the text. Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He was worried about his sons, his, his children. Maybe they had done something that offended God in their celebrations. Maybe they took credit for what God had blessed them with or maybe expressed ambition against 